0: Hot Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Hot Offside, suburbs of New York City in an apartment. Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother?
1: I'll tell you what's up, Andrew. I am back in the groove as a coach, as a manager. I recorded my first victory at the weekend as a manager in many years, actually. It's been a long time, but I did it. Well, like FIFA? No, no, no. no An actual real-life uh, men's soccer team. Uh, a 4-1 victory was recorded in the Cosmopolitan League this weekend. And I was considering I'm injured, as most listeners will know. I've, I'm recovering from a back injury. So I took the reins. And I feel good about the win, Andrew. But I am a liar and a hypocrite. Well, I've known that for years. You, this is hardly a revelation. Well, I, I just wanted to let you know that for all the things that I espouse on this podcast about, you know, styles of play and sometimes I ridicule. Oh, please tell me you were Mourinho. No, but uh, if you want to hear just the gist of what my team talk was and my team selection, maybe you should listen to this. Ladies and gentlemen, England will be playing 4-4-4. Two. all right
0: okay so is that is that what you did old, uh,
1: old reliable uh i i went sam allardyce mid-2000s 442 andrew i didn't just go 442 in the old english sense i did it in the most warnock allardyce sense that you can possibly dream up I played two big men up front, not one big man and a small man, not Niall Quinn and Phillips. I went two big men up front and it paid off. Javier, our striker, who was uh, he turned up in an Argentina top and was six foot three. There's no way he's not going up front. All right. Um, He scored two goals Nice. and I played our best player. Where do you think I played our best player, our technically our best passer? Uh
0: in a four four two, I would like to think maybe one of those middle spots in the midfield four. Oh yeah, you, you'd
1: like to think that. But he no, play- you put
0: him in goal in goal, didn't you? He no, was a he keeper.
1: Played, he played Danny played center back. So I, I felt like we needed to be able to pass out through the back, but we also needed a guy who could hit accurate long driven balls into the strikers. I'm I'm so- a, I'm I'm a fraud. I am Fraudiola. Yeah.
0: I, I, I wish there were post-match press conferences in this league. I, wanna, I would like to see you answer
1: t- for these things. Answer for my style of play. I should be made to because I've made managers. Well, I've never actually publicly made a manager answer for what he's done. Who are but... these
0: people, by the way? Like, how old are the, the guys in this? Is it a men's league? Is yeah, a... men's
1: league. In their 30s, 40s. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, um, this is riveting. I'm telling you. But anyway, so I'm back. But I, I'm basically a Neil Warnock, but I look less like Livia Soprano. Understood. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he really does. I've never thought about that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, this should be a fun show that we have for you, JJ. We're going to go through, of course, with the domestic leagues coming back after the international break, go through a lot of the results from the Premier League over the weekend. I've got a couple things on MLS. We've got a nice mailbag. Reddit is just like running wild right now on the internet or wherever it is that they operate in the dark web. I don't even fully Big understand it
1: way. <laughs>
0: um, actually I, I wanted to address one thing. I know we're going to do some, some of the Reddit stuff, I guess. What People who like are just tuning into this podcast They must be thinking that like they've dropped in and Oh, this must be an old pot This must be like a caught off side I, I accidentally downloaded from like 2016 Like for us to be like talking about Reddit Like it's a new, a new technology That's kind of just bursting on the scene now But I saw in the Somebody sent me a tweet, I guess, of screen grabs From a Reddit conversation about me um, Getting nervous about the podcast going too long From a recent episode Uh, So I wanted to address that for
1: two reasons. One, hang on a second. Yeah, Uh, this this was the uh, this was the uh, the message. I don't even know what they're called. The comment on the Reddit um, by uh, Swarberto. When an episode reaches 60 minutes, you can bet your life that Andy will jump in to start fretting about how long it's going. I think it was at 63 minutes in the jump to conclusions pod. His nerve, his nervousness about long episodes is charming. And Chicago Gospel replied, Andy, thinking this is the worst piece of media ever created when the podcast goes long versus us beating our chests like gorillas when the Spotify feed says 60 minutes or more. So here's (laughs) two things. One,
0: I give all these people enormous credit because for them to have these thoughts, even it must mean that they're longtime listeners, because my second point, I don't I don't do
1: that anymore. Have my back on this. Have your back on it. Um, I, I do think at times I, I get a, a feeling from you, a sense, a facial expression, or you might say something casual, like, well, we have to get on or something like that. So
0: that happened on a podcast last week. Aha. Uh-huh. But here's why, JJ. It wasn't because the podcast was going too long. It was because you told me before the show that you had to get back to work. People may forget. This is not, we love this podcast. It's a huge passion of ours, but it is not our actual Jobs. Oh, it is a job. We get paid for it. Don't be so foolish.
1: But it's not our real job. Uh, but go into your head tomorrow morning and ask which job you care it's about. It's not the, the most job that puts you're gonna food say. on
0: our table or pays bills.
1: Right. That's irrelevant, though, to your. Um, but I'm saying
0: we... you told me before we started recording that you yeah, had to I mean, be out I by a, a certain I, time. I, and I, these I animals a... think that I referenced
1: that because I was nervous about the pod going too long. No, it was to save you. But uh, I'm going to go behind the curtain further. Before we actually get to talk about the football, which is this spot this podcast is supposed to be about, you at the end of a recording, when you see one anything over one hour fifteen, this is what you say: "Oh, they're never going to get to the end."
0: You liar! It's they're been over to the It's end. been two years since I've done that. But yeah.
1: But you used to do it. So yeah, I acknowledge that. But and what you years. used to do
0: is what you always do. I will say first impressions do last a lifetime. I believe right. we had a podcast titled that uh, a few weeks ago. All right, let's get into it now, JJ, because a lot did happen over the weekend. I'm sorry to to have bogged down the beginning of this show with your managerial career and my whining about my people's perceptions of me. Um, so you know where I was Saturday
1: morning, bright and early? You were uh, watching uh, Manchester United with other Manchester United people. Yeah, that's right. I was undercover at a Manchester
0: United supporters bar in uh, Manhattan, Smithfield, Smithfield Hall, is it? It's yeah, like, we,
1: but isn't that the home of a few clubs or it used to be the home. It wasn't just the supporters club for United. Well, if
0: you look online, it's that's oh, like what's listed it, oh, it is? as their
1: spot. And
0: so, ah. yeah, I was there uh, with a buddy of mine for his, uh, it was his bachelor party. We had a beautiful outdoor table kind of right on the edge with two TVs set up right in front of us. It was, it was amazing. Very COVID safe as well. And um, it was a great time. I'll give everybody there, you know, it was an incredibly lively atmosphere. This is a fan base that when you think about the Glazers and kind of morale of, what would you say, three months ago, four months ago, five months Mm. ago, roughly, uh, and then you think about where they are now, it's like, it's like a different club. It's Um, just like the feeling around them Oh, the feeling is different. The The feeling around the fan base with how they feel about this team in the span of of, of several months, it's almost unrecognizable from what we were hearing from Manchester United fans late last season.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was interesting to see Avram Glazer in the stands himself. And I couldn't stop the thought in my mind that was, you would not believe, and (laughs) you would believe, I'm sure you saw them, the banners and placards that were being held up by those United fans who stormed old Trafford and got the Liverpool game called off what they were saying about you have And now you sit amongst them. A few months I mean, made that, a big difference. That is
0: all the evidence you need of where things are at in terms of the fan base. Like he wouldn't be able to do that or he wouldn't, he wouldn't want to subject himself to that. If you know, just a few months ago, they but... are
1: certainly being appeased for now. Um, how whether that remains the case is going to be it's going to be very interesting to see to see how that that continues
0: yeah and by the way i'm not trying to use this as a knock against them i'm not like trying to paint them as like some rube fan base that just like can be won over with the whims of of a manager if he just feels like snapping his fingers they'll all be happy again like i think ultimately this is what this is all fans want you know be a good team be enjoyable to watch sign good players like I just want to be entertained. That's that's the majority of fans out there. For some people, it's more than that, but like, I'm I'm okay with that. Man. I, Manchester United fans, be excited! Like, I, you really should be right now. If not, why? What's the point?
1: I think that I think for the the vast majority of fans who again stormed Old Trafford last May or April, um, I I think it's I think it's much more than just be good, be successful. There there was a lot of underlying issues there that aren't going to go away. Andrew, with uh, with the signing of. Uh, of a former legend but for now like you said the feeling at the weekend was not something we've seen at Old Trafford in a long long time
0: no the atmosphere was amazing um and it was a fun game um it really was and of course you know the the headlines will all go to Cristiano Ronaldo who came back scored two goals one of them uh, a tap in off of some I mean, the ball took a deflection on its way to the keeper. I would still say maybe not great goalkeeping.
1: Really, both goals, oh, I would say, not great goalkeeping. Andrew, um, say what you want. I can, I can talk in glowing terms about certain things that Ronaldo did for the second goal. The, I mean, the first goal, could he have shoveled it into a worse place? Like, it, was, it wasn't bad goalkeeping. It was pathetic goalkeeping. <laughs> It was dreadful goalkeeping. And the, even the deflection the shot took was not an excuse. Woodman had an absolute nightmare. The second shot he should have saved too, but I give Ronaldo more credit for that one because he made that that bursting, pacey run. He took the ball in stride with his right and hit it with his left. There yeah. was a lot to like about that goal. But, the, I mean, the first goal, it was... Um, I'll tell you what, in the context of the game, it was badly needed. And Ronaldo to be there with with his... With his instincts to tap at home, however easy a tap home it was, it was important that that happened because Newcastle had stifled uh, United. F- and and you, if you had watched that first uh, that first uh, half hour of the game, you wouldn't have thought that much has changed for United with the inclusion of Cristiano Ronaldo. They're kind of what they what they were beforehand, but that goal opened things up. So let's talk a little bit more about them, maybe bigger picture, but with with
0: kind of anecdotes of this game meshed in here. Um, four one was your final. I-, I do wonder a little bit if that scoreline was was somewhat flattering to Manchester United. Like we mentioned, the goalkeeper for for Newcastle uh, really hurt them in in spots. And you know, I was with some friends watching this game, and I, I I distinctly remember thinking on a few occasions before the score kind of ballooned out to what it was near the end of that game. You know, through much of the first half, I remember thinking that Newcastle is actually like they're going at them. They're, they were playing pretty well. They were absorbing pressure and they were
1: applying some of their own. I thought um, I thought Almiron had a brilliant game, Andrew. I thought San, San Maxim caused problems all day and mm-hmm. I thought Zhao Linton should have scored the equalizer at 2-1 where he's just gone high and straight at De Gea. If he goes low, left or right, that's 2-2. They caused... They weren't... <laughs> they are limited by what they're the way the manager sets them up. And and probably most managers would have set uh, Newcastle United up, but they've got good players and they, you know, they were, I thought they were actually good at the weekend and, and the scoreline flattered United somewhat.
0: Yeah. But now uh, I agreed with all that. Now the other side of it is the United side and, and, you know, coming out of this, people will now wonder, okay, we're starting to see these players acclimate Ronaldo. It only took one game for him to really acclimate, um, has your opinion of them in terms of title contention changed at
1: all by what you saw? Um, I think Varane makes them a lot better or has appeared to so far, even though he, he was um, I mean the entire United defense was was ripped apart by Almiron for, for the goal, um, which I'll talk about from a TV perspective in a minute. Um, you'd need to see more from Sancho, Andrew, who's hasn't started well at United for probably a number of reasons. I guess my question, or, or the doubt I have, not about uh, United winning a title, it's whether they can win a title, is can you win a title just having lots of outstanding attackers when defensive central midfield is a bit dodgy and your manager is not that convincing, to me at least. That's, what, that's my question, and I don't know the answer. But I would expect United to be... They have to be right in the mix um, come May. Surely. They have to. Yeah. And, 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 but but the know. answer is I don't know. I, I think Ronaldo... They're probably going... You know those games they lost last season where they really had the opportunity to kick on and create a little bit of space between themselves and Manchester City? And the absolute opposite happened. You know, the defeat at home to Sheffield United... Results like that. I think that Ronaldo's ability to just find a way to score goals, find a way to beat teams, could be that difference that makes it a, a little closer. But the, the honest truth is, as I sit here, they look dangerous, but I don't know.
0: The thing that I wonder about with them is some of the attacking talent. I know that they're going to have their frailties in defensive midfield. That is, that is true. However, we do believe that they've gotten better in defense with Veron next to McGuire. Um, but I, I just wonder, you know, we, we talk a lot in soccer about the flow of a game, who's dominating a game, who's keeping possession, you know, but sometimes this sport is whittled down to just individual moments. And I just wonder, like the Ronaldo's second goal that he scored, that you talked about, how he, how he took it beautifully with the first touch, right foot, right to the left foot, bangs it home. You know, little things like that. Last year, if that's Marcial or something, is the first touch just a little bit off and it forces the shot wide or it gives the, the keeper time to, to make a better play on that shot or, you know, something like that where just Bruno Fernandes, like his shot that he scored on, can United get by? And win a title with just like a series of individually brilliant moments throughout the course of the season. I'm not saying that they don't dominate games and that they're not going to control the run of play against, you know, against much most opposition. But I'm not talking about what they do against Newcastle and, you know, Burnley and teams like that. Ultimately, a title this season, when you've got this many title contenders, legitimate title contenders at the top of the league, it's going to come down to what those teams do against one another. And so if United face City. Are they going to be able to play that style or are they going to have to absorb pressure and then rely on Bruno Fernandes smacking home a 30-yarder in, in brilliant fashion like he did? Or Ronaldo getting maybe two or three opportunities, but because it's Ronaldo now and not Marcial, he's going to convert them. Can they get by and win a title like that? I think, yeah, they,
1: I think they can. I don't know. Um, half of United's 16 shots in the first hour, uh, I read on th- Football 365, half of them were from outside the box. Mm-hmm. That Those are low percentage chances of goals and it's going to take something spectacular, which Bruno Fernandes can't be expected to do all the time. So I'm curious about them against an even... And I again, I thought Newcastle were good at the weekend and I wouldn't diminish their performance at all, but a better team, you know... Again, for me, it's all about the attacking patterns of play. Can they pick locks? Can they get more high-quality shots in the box? Can they link the play better through Fernandes with Sancho? creating chances for Ronaldo, etc. I, that I don't know. I really don't know. Um, Jamie Carr was on sky on Monday night football and he had some interesting things to say about United in the same vein. There's also a knock on effect.
0: You're talking about the positivity of Manchester and what it actually does to the rest of the team. So straight away, you look at Sancho, he was supposed to have come in and played on the, on the right. He's played left wing for the first two games. Paul Pogba, who'd made an amazing start to the season. Uh, from a left-hand side position, is now in central midfield. He was really poor last week at Wolves in that position. He played well at the weekend, he got assists, but Newcastle's goal still comes from a counter-attack. So, Ronaldo is an amazing individual, one of the greatest players of all time, but does he make
1: Manchester United better as a, as a team or is he just another special individual to add to what they already have? And that's what I feel he is. So, that's Carragher, I think, basically saying he's not sure either, really. I No. We're in a we're in a weird spot here. Do like I do think they're better with Ronaldo, but I my overwhelming feeling after the Newcastle game was as good as you know the storyline, the narrative of Ronaldo turning and uh, returning to Old Trafford and all the joy that went with that. My big thing was: do they do they actually need him? Like, do they need him? Like, was this, is this the missing piece? And I, I don't know. Um. I'll say, I mean, look, need,
0: you know, they have a lot of attacking power and and that's Mm. without Marcus Rashford even back in the lineup. But like, you know, we've been talking about them trying to take that next step. Like they, you know, they can qualify for champions league and that's all fine and good, but that for them, that's not good enough. Like they believe we're Manchester United. We should not just be like, winning the premier league we should be winning the premier league and going deep in champions leagues and so to do stuff like that a you need a deep squad which they now have uh and b you need proven goal scores true threats that are going to just terrorize back lines and i think you know ronaldo he does those things and you know so it's hard for me to say that they need him um But like if they want to achieve the objectives and get back to the level that they believe that they should be at, then it it certainly helps having a player like that on your team. So, I mean, I get what everyone's saying. I understand the the trepidation of going all in on them because like you see a lot of one way players. There's a lot of guys that are elite in attack and you just don't you don't see those guys tracking back and racing back to, you know, spoil a counterattack. Um, so there's going to be pressure that's going to be put on that United back line. The need was probably more with the Veron signing than the Ronaldo one, but the Ronaldo one could prove to be just as beneficial.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It, it was Pogba and Matic together in that, in the, in that kind of two uh, in midfield and yeah, maybe against a better side, that's that's not going to cut it, but that remains, that remains to be seen. I mean, United could be, could click into gear to be an attacking force, um, that means they'll be really exciting, but you know I'm not convinced yet. I don't know yet, um, but I do know what really annoyed me at the weekend, Andrew. Oh, okay. Uh, I understood the deification of—I mean, Ronaldo returning was just just unbelievable, and it was in, incredible to see the way the crowd was was wrapped up in in his return and how it seemed to. I mean, it, it was like the return of a of a king. Um, but if you were watching the game live on NBC, you missed the brilliant play of Miguel, most of the brilliant play of Miguel Almiron to set up the equalizer because they were showing a slow mo- motion replay of Ronaldo's celebration mm-hmm. from the first goal. It it drove me absolutely insane. Like, you know, in the same way that not, not in the same way. Obviously, it's a different thing, but um, it really annoyed me two weeks ago to see a Messi's debut. The the stad ram players coming over after the game and handing him their children and having pictures. It's like, you know, this is still supposed to be competitive, and in the case of TV, this is still supposed to be objective. You know, it 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 was it, that was too much for me, Ronaldo is the story, is the narrative. I understand why that would be the case, but there's another team involved, and this is a very competitive game. The fact that you didn't see the entirety of that move live uh, in America anyways yeah, was just
0: just terrible. No, you're right. We, we kind of caught it at the point where Newcastle are about 20 yards out, and, right. and like there's part of you that's like, as they're going back to live action, that's kind of like, well, how did they get there? Um, yeah, I get what you're saying. I'll be honest. This is a thing that I think about a lot. And like, oftentimes the networks don't get burned, but like, I do sometimes think, okay, in a sport that doesn't, I mean, yes, there are stoppages in play, but they're trying, you know, usually they'll get in replays. They they're very good at finding the moments to do it, but I'm surprised that they don't get burned more often. Yeah. Like with like, you know, a quick, somebody taking a quick kick um, off of a foul or something when the network thinks they have time, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. And it's yeah. I mean, I guess they were bound to get burnt at some point. But you're you're bothered by things like this.
1: No, no, it's interesting. Just, it, I get it. No, I, I I like I like it just to be even handed. You know, um, I I just I just think there's certain institutions that are to- supposed to be totally impartial, and you should, as a journalist or as a reporter or as a TV company, react to exactly what's going on in the field, nothing more. And there was no need to show that replay again at that moment. That's all I'm saying. It was, it was, it was the indulgence that was suiting for the day, though, considering the the mood of the of the crowd and everything. Yeah, it was what the day was about. Mm, yeah. Well, you've got some real
0: proper football man qualities in you.
1: No, no, no. I have a I have opinions uh that are on my own and I and I I that's that's just it. And and sometimes they don't Not- mesh. And we're also in a we're also in an era, Andrew, where um It's like debate or criticism. Like, you know, it's seen as this big thing, this big argument, whereas it's normal to talk about these things and for people to have differing opinions. Mm, That makes me uncomfortable. Okay, all right.
0: Uh, Should we continue or do you have more on this?
1: Yeah, before we get out, um, uh, a number of media outlets, including uh, The Guardian, uh, reported that a feminist group Level Up says it flew a message over Old Trafford in support of woman accusing footballer of sexual assault. So this was um level up flying a believe mayorga uh banner over old trafford during the game. Um that relates to obviously the um revelations from uh Der spiegel, uh the leaks from their spiegel in 2018. Um Uh, prosecutors in the United States uh, declined to press criminal charges against Ronaldo then in 2019, but a civil lawsuit relating to this is uh, currently in front of a Las Vegas judge. So that's what that was about.
0: Yeah. I mean, this obviously, you know, has never gone away. No, Um, but you know, with him so prominently back in the news and the news cycle, uh justifiably so the story has come back to the forefront.
1: Yes, it has. And um that's where it stands at the moment. Um and uh, I don't I, I really don't know much of the, the the laws surrounding civil lawsuits in the United States. Um, but um that's that is the position. Um the last report I saw was in early June. So it's currently the case is currently in front of a Las Vegas judge who will rule whether to proceed or not.
0: Uh yeah. So there you go. We'll, we'll of course, follow that um, and see where it winds up. Uh, Let's see, JJ. Should we continue here? Liverpool?
1: Yes, Liverpool. uh,
0: They looked a lot like Liverpool
1: again. They did, um, to the point that um, RTE reports that Marcelo Bielsa admitted afterwards that he'd been outwitted by Klopp, um, whose key players were on a different level and beat Leeds at their own high-pressing game. Uh, Klopp said, first and foremost, it's nice to get a compliment from Bielsa. We defended them really brave and in the right spaces, and the offensive players can get on the ball when you allow that. Our idea was to cut out Phillips, which is important, and to cut out the passes they want to play to find him in the center. And that takes out a bit of our game plan. I've never, I won't say I've never seen it because United have found ways to score lots of goals against Leeds. So I won't say I've never seen it because I'll have United fans on my back. But in general play and the patterns of play and the way Liverpool forced their game, it's a long time since I've... uh, I haven't seen Leeds outmatched like this since they came back up, put it that way.
0: I said this a couple of weeks ago Mm. during our Jump to Conclusions podcast. Now, you and I, we we were not buying the idea that they're going to be relegation candidates, but we did wonder, or I did, about whether or not teams maybe know how to break them down this year in a more effective way than what they did last year. And I do wonder if we might see
1: more of this Yeah,
0: throughout the course of this
1: season. I, I think it's that. And I think they hit Liverpool in rare form, not rare form. That's, but you know what I mean when I say rare form, excellent form. No, uh,
0: this, I mean, that looked a lot like the Liverpool team that we thought was going to make a run at the invincibles. in in terms of the way they played
1: yeah no you're right and um they had big performances in particular from uh tiago who you know there's been question marks over him um you'd wonder oh tiago in midfield against leeds how's that going to work because he doesn't seem to be the quickest player in the world but um he was devastatingly good saggio mane's own personal xg was higher than the entire leeds united teams xg i was so relieved for him when he finally scored i, I mean know. like has
0: any player ever deserved a goal more in a game than him he has games like that where he just like it's maddening the way he can't find the back of the net but I, so i was glad for him that he did definitely deserved one um i, I wanted to talk more about not just tiago but that midfield duo of him and fabinho um, because, you know, we talk a lot about X factors on teams that are loaded with superstars, who are some of the more or less heralded guys that can turn the tide of, of what could be just a good season or a great season. Um, and, and along those lines, I saw this from Nick Wright at Sky Sports. And he was talking about Fabinho and Tiago. And he said, at the halfway point of the game, the 27 year old Fabinho had made a total of five interceptions, one more than the other 21 players on the pitch had managed between them. That is imposing and then the player next to him nick Wright, also points out that tiago won back possession seven times in the middle third of the field most on the team
1: that's deadly that's devastating when that
0: happens those turnovers happen in that area because we know what liverpool does when they win back possession in that spot Bang. I mean, guys, you know, fullbacks start flying upfield into attack. Salah, Mane, all these guys know exactly where to go to get in, into position. And immediately you're backpedaling in your face with a, a goal scoring opportunity com- coming back against you. So um, to have a player like that in Tiago, who can win back possession the way that he does, to have a player in midfield like Fabinho who's so versatile, who allows, you know, they're, they're moving Van Dyke and center backs into more attack minded positions because Fabinho is dropping back and defending. Yeah. Like he can do those things now. So You know, obviously, and we'll talk about Mo Salah in a sec, you know, but we we know the guys who are going to get the credit on this team, generally speaking. It's going to be the Van Dykes and the Salas and the Manes and players like that. But do not underrate what Fabinho will bring to this team. And you, I know, have talked about him a lot over the past couple of years. And Thiago, too. Uh, You know, there's going to be people who are just kind of like who are going to kind of write him off to a certain extent because he did not get off to the kind of start that Liverpool supporters and, and just general fans of the sport would have thought that he, he should have at Liverpool. Um, but, you know, I, I wonder a little bit JJ you know, sort of the way I talk about Chicharito with the LA galaxy, just like unusual circumstances to kind of be dropped into a new league that you haven't been in. And, you know, that applies to some of these guys too in the premier league in, in COVID times and Tiago might be one of those. So I, I just see, you know, winning back possession seven times in a dangerous part of the field, you know, th- those two guys will be interesting uh, to watch. I think going forward for Liverpool's title challenge.
1: Yeah, I think it's a very good shout for Fabinho. He was excellent at the weekend, and and like you said, Thiago just he comes to Liverpool. It's COVID times. Then he gets injured almost immediately and is out for months uh, against Everton, and you know his his season is is interrupted. So so maybe this is his this is his real season where we'll see what he can he can really offer the team.
0: Uh, I mentioned Mo Salah. Congrats to him. 30th member of the Premier League's 100 goal club. Um, I, I was going to play a game where you and I go back and forth, each naming a member of that club until one of us couldn't. Um, but I saw a list earlier today. So I tried to take the, uh, the BBC website had like one of those challenges where um, you, you have like there's a clock and you try to put in as many as you can before the clock. Expires. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, sadly, I did it while I was working. And so about a minute and a half in, something happened that took me away from it. And you can't pause it because obviously Ugh. that would be cheating. So I'll never really know how good I could have done. But I was off to a good start. I'll say that. You know who I got, JJ, that I, I was kind of surprised. But I was like, eh, let me take a chance here. Darren Bent. You know, he's, a one, he's in the 100 uh,
1: goal club in the Premier League. How about that? The, the Dar- Darren Bent. Darren that played at Spurs. Yeah. Darren that played at 106
0: goals. Ipswich, Charlton, Tottenham, Sunderland, Villa and Fulham. Darren bent that Darren bent,
1: but we'll uh, Peter Crouch. Can can I ask? Well, Crouchy, I believe it. He's got one Oh eight. Can I ask you this? Mm -hmm. Is there another player actually maybe Crouchy, but is there another player outside of Crouchy that has been disparaged in the way that Darren Bent would have been where in a press conference, his manager, Harry Redknapp said, my Mrs. Sandra would have scored that one. I mean, not that I can
0: think of. No, because
1: the rest of them are pr- pretty much elite, right? Yeah. Just. <laughs> kind of, I, I thought that I always thought that was really unfair. Unfair on his wife, too. He managed to disparage two people, his center forward and his wife, at once.
0: I was amazed when I saw how many goals Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank scored. I didn't realize it was that many. But, 127. Yeah, he, how many 127 14th most
1: in premier league history good lord yeah right that, that's across two seasons at leeds and how many at, and oh then chelsea and Middlesbrough, right uh you-
0: leeds chelsea middles Middlesbrough, and then charlton
1: huh. yeah interesting i wouldn't have i wouldn't have thought that yeah
0: scored 136 goals at chelsea Actually, no. I'm sorry. No, no, that's that's wrong. 136 appearances, 69 goals. There we go. Oh, I it, okay. I had it backwards. And so the
1: re- and and so his 100 is made up from the rest were at Leeds, right?
0: Uh, at Middlesbrough, he had 22 at Middlesbrough. Okay. I mean, he was gr- he was with them when they made their run to the UEFA Cup final, right? So the, he he had some good years at at Borough, but yeah, congrats to Mo Salah. 100 goals deserves it. I mean, man, the, the guy for a player who had like not well kind of had been written off as a failure in this league to come back and, and just like do the things back, that he's done,
1: but even coming back, what, what stats did he come back with? Really? Like he was excellent for Roma, but he played much more wide. He scored like, what was it? 16 goals that season and had like, he had a ton of assists too. No one could have predicted. this. No, one, Absolutely. It just couldn't have. It's what a transformation. Yeah. um, Pretty amazing.
0: Also, sadly with this game, you can't go through talking about this without mentioning the horrific injury to Harvey Elliott um, dislocated ankle. It was, it was pretty clear when it happened that something horrible had just occurred. Mo Salah was the nearest player to it. And he waved the medical staff out onto the field before the referee even had time to stop play. Um, so you knew it was horrible.
1: Yeah. The ref wasn't even going to give a free kick. No, didn't call foul. Yeah. Um Ken early had a piece in the Irish times uh, this morning, and he believes Elliot's injury is the consequence of the, let the game flow instructions that referees have been following since the start of the season in England. And this podcast has pretty much been behind.
0: Um, I've been all for it. I think it's been great, but just, that and mean, I don't, I don't know that I'm willing to say, I mean, like this is not unprecedented. I know some people have compared this to what happened with son and Andre Gomez, uh was that two seasons ago? Yeah. I mean, this is not the first time that this has happened. I, this I don't This was know. different,
1: you know. Uh, so I, I don't necessarily agree with him, but I'm curious to hear what you think. Uh he, Elliot, has grown up in an era when dangerous tackles from behind are banned and so he never learned how to avoid them. Now he pays for that gap in his knowledge with a big chunk of his promising career. Let it flow, Pawson who would send strike off when he realized the extent of Elliot's injury never even blew for a foul. Let it flow is of course a self-defeating nonsense. The game flows much faster now than it did in the days when leg breakers were legal. One of the most sordid aspects of the whole awful incident was Sky's squeamish refusal to show replays ostensibly out of some concern for Elliot, the first, but assuredly not the last victim of the new dispensation. Andrew, there is a lot of tackles happening now that are I know I, I, I actually don't think like Harvey Elliott said t- uh, tweeted this or Instagram this uh, it wasn't his fault whatsoever neither was it a red card, just a freak accident but these things happen in football I'll be back strong or 100% thanks for all the support mm-hmm. and Pascal stroke uh, said thank you Harvey I hope you really uh, recover really quickly and continue with your amazing career I don't think this is the best example of that it is a tackle from behind though mm-hmm and Ken's argument is that Strike was emboldened to do this because there's no guarantees now that that will be a yellow or a red anymore. You know, the Pogba incident against Wolves that led up to the goal. I mean, that's... That was or borderline red, orange, probably a red card, really. Um, now, I, like, I don't mind the shoulder-to-shoulder stuff. You know when you see a guy dwelling on the ball and he's, like, he's shouldered off it? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that stuff You know I, I'm okay with But when you go to ground or, or And you go to ground with your studs up Or in this case Well the
0: problem here was not anything having to do with studs up Or no, even no, necessarily no. going to ground It was Dale Johnson basically breaks this down As to why this was given yeah, as a red no. card Because there, there was controversy over whether or not it was I mean right. even, like you just said Harvey Elliott himself wasn't sure that this was actually a red card
1: Right what um, Dale says is interesting
0: I have it here. He says, the red card was given for serious foul play, specifically the intensity of the challenge and endangering the safety of an opponent. Did the injury influence the officials? You can't really say otherwise considering the timeline of the sanction and no free kick was given. You see this kind of tackle regularly when a player attempts to hook the ball back, but Stroik appears to jump in to make this tackle, meaning he has to be out of control to an extent and it's his trailing leg that causes the injury. That's it. I, 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 yeah. think, I think the attempt made by Stroik it, it wasn't that far off from actually being a really good defensive play. I think it's the, the fact that he jumps to do it as opposed to maybe more of like a slide to do it. Uh, also, Cause once you also, jump, you Dale Johnson is right. You kind of then do lose control over what happens next. It's
1: reckless. Right. Right. The other side to it is if the laws are going to be enforced correctly, that, that hooking tackle really doesn't work. It is still a tackle from behind. Um, can earlier but, it, but it,
0: real quick not to not i'm sorry to cut you off but like you're right but we do see like some of the best defensive plays that we see are that are those like hooking tackles kind of as a last-ditch effort and we we applaud those plays like that's you know we we talk about what great defending that is and like how difficult
1: that is to I mean do. we're talking about how many different tackles though because they ha- Some of them are a little bit more from the side, Andrew. Some of them are, you know, like this one were from behind, which is just illegal. Um, yeah, I, I look, it, I tend to agree with what Harvey Elliott says. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't Strike's fault in the sense that it was, it wasn't a filthy play. He wasn't trying to hack him down. He was making an attempt on the ball, but he was out of control and it was the trailing leg that did it. And now, I mean, dislocated ankle.
0: Yeah, by, by the way, I'm fine with this being a red card. And I'm yeah. fine also with the outcome dictating somewhat uh, the punishment. Like, if the, if the result of what you did resulted in a guy dislocating his ankle, like, to me, that, that's evidence. Like, that, that has to come into play when you're trying to then determine what your punishment is. Like, clearly, whatever
1: I'll- you did was dangerous enough that this could be the result. I think Bobby Madley as well, who was the fourth official, had a very clear view of it. And, so
0: he's uh, the reason pretty much that it was given. This never actually went to VAR. I think people are confused and think that that the no, VAR no. Uh, came down and said, you got to look at that. It wasn't. It was the fourth official.
1: No, but VAR's only role in this was to say it was to look at it and to say there's no reason for you for to say that a red card is incorrect or that right. it's the wrong, the wrong uh, decision. That, right. That,
0: VAR VAR's only use was to basically say, you don't need me on this one.
1: Yeah, yeah was terrible. I feel so yeah. bad for, for, for Harvey Elliott because he is such a player, Andrew. At 18 years of age, um, for this to happen, just dreadful. But I do think Ken raises an interesting point about, about this kind of, let's not call some fouls that are fouls anymore. You know? What, is that emboldening people to make tackles and make challenges that haven't been in the game for a while or that we don't regularly see? Uh, I mean, look, you know, I'm not gonna, well, we have to wait, we have to wait and see, yeah. but the evidence is there that there are, I mean, we're getting lots of tweets every week from the supporters of different clubs saying, did you see that tackle? That wouldn't have been allowed last season. That wouldn't have stood last season. So maybe, maybe after this, they tighten it up though. Maybe they do. Uh, in terms of Liverpool, because Harvey Elliott
0: had kind of emerged and, and was really had given Klopp no choice but to, to play him as a first-team player, despite the fact that he's such a young player, what do they do now?
1: Um, well, uh, what they do know is they look to Naby Keita. Mm-hmm. They look to shuffle the pack a little bit in midfield. They do have options, um, but... Neither Keita or Henderson or Milner, who are the other options on the bench, are really the same kind of player that Elliot is. Um, Kate is the closest thing, so maybe he'll come in. Uh, but again, you're, looking, you're, you're asking a guy who really has an impression since he came to the club to put in a sustained amount of time. Hell, Elliot probably wasn't going to start every game anyway. But Klopp had been significantly impressed with him over this last period to give him a start in, in, in a, a very big away fixture, which goes to show you the esteem in which he's held. And um, Liverpool do have backup, but neither Milner, you can't call Milner or Henderson, a like-for-like like replacement with Harvey Elliott, and Kate is the closest thing. So next man up. You know,
0: the sad part, last bit on this, um, the, you know, all of it is sad, but uh, he was just getting ready to come off like Jordan Henderson was, was up and was ready to come on
1: and replace him
0: Yeah, when this happened. I mean, ugh, I feel sick for him. Jeez. Yeah. I was
1: sick watching it because I, I really, really enjoyed the performance, but to see that, um, was just, just awful. But you hope he can re- recover quickly, yeah. really quickly. And there's no complications.
0: No, definitely not. He's due to have surgery. I think sometime in the next couple of days, um, Quickly a couple more from the Premier League, JJ. I have my early submission for pass of the season. Oh, yeah. Kovacic to Lukaku on Chelsea's first. What a ball. God, what a ball. Probably about a what would you say? Like a forty yard pass around a defender, right into Lukaku's path. And then he did brilliantly with it as he does. But I think right now, I think right now that's my leader in the clubhouse for assist of the season. It's early. It's early, but that that's the one to beat currently for me.
1: I've got my assist of the season and it's not even from this league. Hmm. And it's coming up later. We're going to talk about it. That Aww. is called a tease in the old radio business. Oh, wow. um, did you know that the, the XG from, uh, from Cali, Michael Cali anyway, was 1.6 to 1.3 in favor of Villa? So I was going to talk about that
0: as we get now into the, the Chelsea-Aston Villa game, which ended 3-0. But so Lukaku scored that first for Chelsea. And then I got to say, the response from villa was phenomenal yeah. i mean the pressure after that goal really for the, pretty much the remainder of the first half i mean we're talking like a, a almost like a 25 minute sustained stretch where it felt like all the traffic was headed in one direction and it was towards Edward Mendy and Chelsea's fortunate that he's their goalkeeper because he's he is fantastic mm-hmm. i mean he is we probably don't talk about him enough when we talk about great keepers he is right there he might be the best in the league and he was excellent in this uh, first half the double save that he made uh, to keep it 1-0 in favor of Chelsea uh, but yeah props to villa Ollie watkins was you know had chance after chance uh, this yeah this could have gone a, a bit of a different way um, so, you know, in the end, it's a 3-0 defeat, and Villa will not be taking any moral victories from that, nor should they, mm. but they they accounted themselves fairly well against the team right now that I think you and I have talked about as being the best team in the league.
1: Yeah, um, I didn't see the whole game, but I heard that uh, John McGinn was particularly impressive for, yeah. for Villa. Yeah, he too. was. Yeah. Um, and, and in fairness, Tuchel mentioned it after the game, he said, uh, by this, this was by no means an easy game for us, uh, whatsoever. But, um, but sometimes you have to dig deep and get the win, and and uh, and they were able to do it. But it, it bodes well for, for Villa. Um, not so well was the the <laughs> the I presume it was his debut, um, for Saul. Uh, Tuchel is just no respecter of anybody, he is not afraid to give anybody the hook. <laughs> After 45 minutes, if it's not working out off, you come like the traditional thing for me is, or at least what I grew up with watching on TV is the manager will give 45 minutes. It's not working out. He'll give him the, he'll give the player the next 10 minutes of the, of the first half of the second half. And then if it's not, then he comes off. Yeah. But kind of like a, a prove me wrong stretch.
0: Yeah. But Tuchel's not like that. Well, he's afforded that luxury i mean look how deep they are I, I i suppose if he sees something not working he doesn't need to wait he doesn't really care about bothering people or offending people because right now he's got a track record he's a reigning world world european champions so you know hard to argue with i suppose yeah. what he what he's been doing is work um but you know it, it's interesting though because we were talking about villa accounting themselves well and you know the the way this game played out like you, know, you wouldn't expect Tyrone Mings. Like, he's a good player, but like, God, what a rough one he had in this. Like Chelsea's second and third goals, like this could, like we said, it could have been a different game, but just a lazy back pass from Mings. And it's pounced on Kovacic. Great finish. Took it first touch. And then the third goal, just Mings getting skinned by Ascalaqueta. And then plays it in for Lukaku for, for Chelsea's third to kind of extend the scoreline. There are but, people um, yeah. who are
1: Mings doubters, Andrew, to be honest with you. As good as uh, Kansa and Mings were last season, uh, there are plenty of people and plenty of Aston Villa fans as well who are not convinced by Tyrone Mings. And Chelsea are good enough to
0: take advantage of those mistakes. You you can't like that back pass from Mings. Like you just, and he knows better. I mean, he's, you know, he plays for England. He's a, He's a very good player, but like... Against against any team, you can't do it. But especially with the talent that Chelsea has, they will they will make you pay for all of those.
1: And didn't you have an unbelievable stat? Was it last season or was it the COVID interrupted season uh, about uh, Aston Villa and mistakes? Yes, uh, uh, individual errors. They like it was frightening. It killed them. It, it killed did. them. Yeah, it did.
0: So if any club should know the danger of that, uh, it would potentially be them. Uh, a couple more. JJ Tottenham emphatically taken down a peg. Uh, I would say, you know, this was this is a loss that kind of in terms of the way it looked, it goes into that category that you often reference of like the Brighton defeat for Tottenham like this. This was that bad. Yeah, Um, I don't. I mean, I don't remember really a single moment where they posed any threat even before Tanganga was sent off. Uh, Harry Kane did. Like he just wasn't involved. Like you could have told me he didn't play, and I would have thought, yeah, you know what? I don't remember him doing. Yeah, you're right. I guess he didn't. No, he played, but he like they couldn't get him the ball. This was, uh, this was some of the fear, I guess, with Nuno, in that he's you know, a lot of his sensibilities are going to be defensive minded, and you know, I I guess I get it in the season opener against Manchester city. We'll, we'll put men behind the ball and try to bite them on the counter, but like really, crystal palace, you're playing with three defensive midfielders against crystal palace. And yeah. by the, and Deli Alley is the one non-defensive midfielder, but they use him essentially the way that like Eric Lamella had been used the last few years. We're like, okay, it's a guy who can score goals, but we're just going to have him be a guy who sort of just like is aggressive and wreaks havoc all over the place. So it, he's almost like three and a half defensive midfielders with the way he's, he's been deployed. So it's just like, I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's about as negative as it gets. If, if I didn't know any better, I would have thought a, a different Portuguese was on the sidelines, but we will not.
1: Well, Jack Pitt Brooks said, as quite a few people have said, it was a bit last days of Mourinho, but I, I, I won't allow you to focus too much on that. uh Of course Andrew. not. It doesn't fit your narrative. No, because I want to talk about uh, Connor Gallagher, who, I'm telling you if the FAI aren't rooting through his background with a name like that um uh, I I I will be enraged if they haven't done their due diligence on him fantastic player um and you know he's he's had a few loans he was at Charlton he's been at West Brom he's obviously you know a Chelsea player so um But I mean, there wouldn't be any space for him on the Chelsea squad right at the moment. So he's an ex, you know, an exceptional pickup for Crystal Palace. And then you have Odson, Edward, who comes off and scores. Oh my God, it was
0: unbelievable.
1: What it must be the quickest brace in off the bench and from a substitute, the quickest goal by a substitute in Premier League history. He was on the field for, I
0: think, 27 seconds.
1: Incredible. And a very, very big early victory for Patrick Vieira for Mm -hmm. the doubters. Of which I am one, and you are one.
0: Am I? I think you were not to your extent. I've said very little. Yeah, but I thought it was good. I do think I had them. Did I predict them going down?
1: I think we both did. Yeah, we might have. I guess that would count as being a doubter. Yeah, but anyway, the um, uh,
0: the Zaha Tanganga incident. What'd you make of all that? Um, soccer fights are so funny. So they want to fight so bad, but like, there's this last. An ounce of thought that won't let them throw a punch. That's just I mean, a lot of body bumping.
1: I mean, Tanganga literally used his arms as like pincers mm-hmm. to kind of hold back uh, Zaha. So neither of them really raised their their hands a bit, although no, Zaha did. Zaha got his hands, got his fingers in Tanganga's cheek, but it was it was
0: well, and he had kind of his hand quickly around his his throat. It yeah. was very quick. Ultimately, yeah, it was quick. I'm not.
1: Some some Tottenham fans have been a
0: little bit hysterical about this, saying like I've seen the frozen the screenshot of Zaha's hand around Tanganga's throat with the caption of one of these two was sent off, and obviously it was Tanganga. Ultimately, I'm he was sent off for a second yellow, though not right. Ultimately, I was fine with neither player getting sent off in that incident. Like yellow, yellow, okay, enough. Let's move on and let's keep playing but like tanganga now like you just have to know better like you are now on the radar the referee's antenna is up for you specifically because he's having a bit of a tough day zaha was was phenomenal yeah. um, and so like less than 10 minutes later there you are again like it just you just have to know better there's no reason to go to ground what 55 yards from from net but like the, it's not like you're trying to dive in to make a last ditch tackle. There's just no reason for it.
1: No, but he he intercepted a ball. He had done really well, and was, then he
0: took a heavy touch and he was yeah. trying to recover and he dove for it. It was just it was terrible. It was, yeah, and but it was a deserved tackle, yellow. He should have he should have been sent off. I have no complaints with how
1: that played out. The first tackle was a yellow anyway. I mean, he could technically of have course. gone off. I mean, he just body checked Zaha, who was. By the way, do not give Zaha that space in behind. Do not engage. You're you're better to stand off. 10 yards and and let him you know try and show him down the line or do something i mean none of it is a good scenario but tanganga was getting skint he gets frustrated and he just pushes him over um yeah it wasn't good it was just a bad day at the office for spurs and it'll be interesting to see whether or not uh this is going to revert to some kind of mean so we have a site, kind of a base level of nuno where it's not what it was at the start in terms of result, but it's not quite this. It's like somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to be curious to see what happens. Yeah. Uh, And by the way, it's also
0: bad for them. So if they're going to rely on defending the way that they have so far through the season and, and it had worked for three matches, didn't work for this one, but like, say what you want about him. Eric Dyer has been Tottenham's best player so far this season. And Hugo Lloris with a kind of a bad pass that Dyer has to lunge for And then now Dyer's off and he's hurt early in this game and Tottenham's second best player so far this season had probably been Davinson Sanchez. He's not playing because of um, COVID protocol. Same with Christian Romero. So like Tottenham are down, you know, like they're down to like their fourth and fifth center backs. It's like Joe Roden um, was, were they playing Ben Davis in center back? I mean, it's like, Mm. You know, if they're going to rely on defending, you better have your your ace defenders there. Or this, we we you know Crystal Palace just did this to them. They got Chelsea next.
1: I worry. I worry. A yeah. few people pointed out the midfield was a bit blur too. There was well, th-
0: yeah, like I said, three defensive midfielders. Look, Tengi and he's on the team. He's on the team. You got to play him. Yeah. I- and look, I know that I am like in the in uh, Donble. Stand. Like, you're believer in his yeah, I, I'm that, I'm in his hive, whatever they want to say, I'm all of those things like I, I I love his game, and so he's on this team, and maybe he's disgruntled, but and maybe he was going to leave in January anyway, but like I, I'd at least bring him on as a sub, maybe that was the plan, and then you lose a man to a red card, and so it changes up whatever you were going to do, but it's just like, I don't know, I see what he's capable of, and it's just sad to me that this is going to waste. And, and some other team is going to benefit from it at some point. Um, another player, JJ, that I have been supportive of that others, I think, don't think very much of as we move now to Arsenal getting their first win over Norwich. Um, Nicholas Pepe. I continue to think that there's a player in there. And boy, was he good in this game. And it's just enough. Like, he'll, he'll go three games with doing virtually nothing. And then I'll start to think maybe it's time that I punt on this. And then in the fourth game, he does like what he did in this one against Norwich. And he's everywhere. Key passes, um, nearly had a goal, but it led directly to Aubameyang's goal. Um, and so now it revitalizes my belief that that he's good if they can just like find a way to consistently harness it, which has been the hard part. But props to Arsenal. They do finally score a goal, just one. But that's all they needed as they get by uh, Norwich. And they're, they're on the board, JJ. Things change
1: very quickly. Early in the season, they can just I, uh, like
0: they shoot up the table and all that fear of
1: relegation is it's well, all they've gone up to what 16th. So, you know, it's, I wouldn't call it shooting up the table. It's kind <laughs> they of were, they were they were bottom dribbling but, yeah. dribbling slowly up the table. Um, can I read notes that you put down? Uh, on our on our rundown should i do that
0: not if not if they're going to be used against me quite frankly
1: oh, okay i won't i won't read that note then in the arsenal section but well, why
0: what was so bad about what i said there
1: uh i'm simply not going to throw them a parade for a one nil over norwich <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i mean because uh, like because i wrote before that if we're going to rip on arsenal when they lose and i suppose we should mention them when they win yeah but I no that's to true say, like but like one nil at home over norwich like okay we'll mention them and i mentioned pepe because i thought he was really good for them but yeah, you know, and Arsenal played well, but like as, as they should, they've been underachieving this season. Now, maybe they're like kind of we talk about players reverting to a mean. Well, teams will too. Arsenal were not always going to be what they had been the first three games of the year. There's too many. Say what you want about them. Like, yeah, this is not the the Wenger years Arsenal, but there's still too many good players on this team for them to be an actual relegation candidate. People can't be
1: serious. Can I get have- that? Can I give you a juicy, succulent stat? And can I give the Arsenal fans this stat? Just so you can, you can ruminate and munch upon it, and it will sustain you over the week. Uh, it suggests Arsenal are heading in the right direction in, in more ways than one. The youngest starting 11 in the division this season produced the most shots Arsenal have had in a game since 2017. There you go. 30 shots in a game. First time since 2017. All right that's that's a that's a stat I can hang my hat on,
0: yeah, I mean they you know it finished one nil it could have been it could have been more, um so yeah, I'll give them their due they won, I don't know what
1: what do people want like Nothing. I said I'm, I'm not, just saying not young, throw them a young team young team creating a lot of chances or maybe not creating a lot of chances, but having a lot of shots,
0: and look, it's good for obama Yang to score, like I think he's someone who is helped by the visual of seeing the ball go in the net, granted, it was a tap in like literally impossible to not have not score that like i could have scored that but it's still obviously good for his confidence we
1: got to go to a break because andrew at the moment we are damning arsenal with faint praise
0: okay we'll go to a break i thought you were going to say you were worried about how long we were going but no no no, that's my job
1: we'll be back we go
0: we still have a little bit mls we got a nice mailbag some really interesting ones oh yeah mailbag um yeah, I'm, I'm excited and curious for some of your responses uh, to, to some of these. It should be good. Still a lot more caught offside. Don't go anywhere. Back now on caught offside. Uh, let's see, JJ. So I do have some uh, MLS things that I wanted to mention.
1: Okay. If you'll allow it. What? Don't you dare. I welcome MLS. I, I bring it to my bosom and I, and I caress it. So I wanted to mention New England.
0: Um, now we had both said, I believe before the season, look out like this, this could be a breakout season for them. We saw the direction things were headed. We saw the talent that was there. Uh, but I don't know that us or anyone could have imagined where this is actually heading for New England. This is from uh, Jonathan Seagull on Twitter. He says, if my math is right, the Revs need two points per game, so 18 total in their last nine games for the most single season points in MLS history. LAFC had 72 in 2019. New England on 55 through 25 games, two paths, six wins or five wins, three draws, and that, and lock up the supporter shield. This is this is astounding what they're doing. Uh, they've done much of it without Carlos Hill over the the stretch where they've Mm. been particularly hot, who he's been out with an injury. Uh, And so along these lines, Bruce Arena, JJ, let's let's have a conversation. Friend Uh, of the pod. Friend of the pod, enemy of the people. (laughs) Uh, Is he forgiven? Now, I don't mean like... Oh, God, Andrew. He can never be truly forgiven, (laughs) I mean, for what happened with the U.S. men and the qualifying. But in terms of like the Bruce Arena legacy, so Matt Doyle pointed this out in his column that he has up on MLSsoccer.com. He said, Bruce Arena's coached some of the greatest teams in MLS history, 97 and 98 D.C. United sides, the 2011-2014 Galaxy sides all come to mind. These Rebs are absolutely cooking those sides on points per game. Think about that. And by the way, like that's not even mentioning Bruce Arena overseeing maybe the greatest U.S. men's team we've ever had in 2002 going to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Uh, So, like, if Bruce Arena can have on his resume a quarterfinal run in a World Cup and maybe, like, three totally separate eras of greatest MLS team, like, teams that go into the conversation of being among the greatest MLS teams of all time, people can, like, they can hold it against him forever, uh, what happened in World Cup qualifying. But I'm sorry, it it does not change this guy's status as a stone-cold legend, and I'll argue it with anybody that wants to argue it. Um, yeah, it's 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 on his resume. There's no question about that. But like, I'll I can't. I just simply can't overlook what else is on there to to say that this guy is like in some way tarnished because of that stretch of time.
1: Well, I was at um, the last event I was at, or the second last event I was at before COVID in February 2020 was his induction into the New York City Soccer Hall of Fame a gala event which had uh Rocco B. the owner of Fiorentina was there mm. it had Greg Bearhalter whom I shared an elevator with and later told him demanded that he come on the podcast uh, he uh, said how, how did that go clearly well, said, it really it resonated with him he said he absolutely wanted to <laughs> and said he would uh Said he would come on. Uh, just we had to set it up through uh, through one of the US soccer guys who did not respond to the email, so that's, that's fine. But um, I digress. His 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 domestic and international record is amazing, Andrew. It's so good. But just like Wando in 2014, fairly or unfairly, I would say, uh, that night in Trinidad and Tobago looms large and will continue to do so, no matter what he does in MLS. Legend. Sorry. Legend. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you. They're 14. Now, look, because MLS, they haven't all played the same amount of games, but they have uh, 25 games, whereas Nashville have 23. But they're 14 points ahead of their nearest rivals. You know, they're streaking away. They really are. Um, and against NYCFC the other night, they outshot, outpassed, and outpossessed NYCFC. Uh, But I do want to give a mention to NYCFC now, if we're finished with new England, Castellano's scooped pass for the opening goal should have immediately stopped the match Hmm. and given all three points to NYCFC. It was so sensual. It was beautiful. Andrew, he, it's, it was so inventive. The scooped pass, not a chip guys, not a chip is scoop right into the path of Rodriguez for the goal. Brilliant. That said, um, Tayshawn Buchanan's winning goal set up by substitute Carlos heel was pretty great too. But um, yeah, my favorite, my favorite assist of the season so far is a MLS assist. Nice. How about them apples?
0: Yeah. How about them? Um, A couple other things I wanted to mention. Uh, Columbus crew following up last year's triumph with a, just an unbelievable bummer of a season. One win in nine games. Most recently out of it yet. No, the Eastern conference is out of its mind. Like you've got top heaviness, but then after that top heaviness, it kind of gives way to just total chaos, which is kind of one of the things we love about this league. Mm. And you're seeing it; it's like five through ten are separated by just like a few points. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and one of those teams, JJ Inter Miami, who have kind of like been mocked here and there, but like quietly are getting it together. Uh, Gonzalo Higuain getting the winner in this one nil uh, victory for them. He's got nine goals now, leads the team, and how about this like amazingly in some ways like refreshingly um bit of honesty from Phil Neville their manager cuz like a lot of times when a team will struggle for a sustained period of time and then they get good the manager will kind of come out there and and parade out the line that you would expect, which is like, you know, I always knew that we had this in us. I see it in training from the boys. Like I, I always knew that we, if we could just unlock this, it was there. This is what Phil Neville said. He said, I've got to say, I didn't think we had these qualities inside when I saw us for the first, maybe two months of the season, players have been absolutely outstanding showing an incredible fight, sometimes against adversity. Sometimes when the going gets tough, is he saying that like, he didn't think this team had that kind of like guts to like battle through
1: adversity. This is the same guy that said they had what twenty uh, something cup finals. Every game is a cup final for us now. We've got twenty two cup finals. By the way, Andrew, they're responding.
0: If that's if that was the gauntlet that he laid down, the Andrew, challenge they, that he laid down,
1: they've eight wins, but, Not, but like, nine but it's losses. Of late, but, but it's
0: taken them a while, and I'm saying now a minus eight well. goal difference. I
1: yeah, mean, they the were, they were that, horrible to start the season. No one's denying fa- that. Ah uh, yeah the fact that they're in in the mix is the fact that you know 7th place will get you into the playoffs this is, this is this is this is again the problem it's it's very very generous uh, table setup um they could sneak in they're only a point off atlanta united so yeah, yeah there there's a lot of direct down after montreal though you have to say definitely
0: but they have been an interesting story for me uh of late that's all i got all right
1: okay very nice
0: so I guess that just means we peter out into a
1: mailbag now. Oh, what is the opposite of Peter? What, what is a better we, <laughs> I t- I, what What's a stronger name than Peter? I'm going to say Bruce. We're going to Bruce our way into this uh, mailbag full of energy, verve and excitement. What We're, do you have here? It's not bruising out. It's not petering out. It's bruising in uh, mailbag. Andrew, uh, by the way, I just want to say all help of fans have been handed out. Thanks to everyone who entered. Um, we had only one person who responded and asked, is there any other team you could possibly give me when they checked that it was Arsenal I was giving them? Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say like Burnley or something. No, but boy, no- that,
0: that shows where Arsenal have fallen, that, yeah. that fans
1: are, are rejecting them in their help of fan. That's okay. sad. Caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com. Uh, at your soccer pod and caught offside espn on Instagram. Uh, but we're going to go to the reddit machine because that's what the kids call it. Uh, or forward slash caught offside pod on reddit if you want to join the ever growing community. Um, horizontal stripes. This is post by a uh, red devils 0204. Meme nice. request Andy's face on the Drake dance template, enjoying horizontal stripes. Um, I'm gonna tweet that out later. It's it's so good. It's exactly what you expected it to be. It's from the what was it the hotline bling video where he's doing the hand away to vertical stripes, but horizontal stripes. He's love pointing. Him. It's love a it. great meme. I yeah. Love it. Uh, hello, Newman. Uh, he contacted us. Uh, quick fantasy Premier League Reddit update. We have 170 members of the caught offside fantasy Premier League. Oh, that's amazing. 170. John Poe is currently in first. Oh, this is fantastic. They Newman keep us keep us posted on this Newman. We're going to need to see a league table. My friend, Uh, our Reddit community has 261 members. Um, Just excellent. Love the pod. The Reddit community has been really fun and positive overall. Generally speaking, it has. Although I got called a gatekeeper on which I didn't enjoy very much. (laughs) Oh,
0: that's beautiful.
1: I might have to venture in there. Yeah, no, it's. I I had a quick look at it. It's pretty good, and it hasn't descended into some kind of, you know, four chan uh, experience, which I thought it might.
0: I would love because I full. I know our listeners, and they're they're beautiful, beautiful people, they animals, are. animals, all of them, but beautiful creatures. Uh, I would love for that Reddit space to be kept a positive space. <laughs> I just think that would be great. Like. Twitter is
1: hateful and angry. Let's have Reddit be like a secret garden. You still get you the negativity. Someone uh, suggested that when I was trying to remember the, um, all the players that played for Manchester United in the 2009 UEFA Champions League final, when you asked me on the spot mm-hmm. that I was, I was stalling to go and Google them, like that kind of stuff. People, I mean, uh, I wouldn't
0: put it past you, but
1: I, I thought you, you did brilliantly, though. You got all of them except one. Yeah, they got mad with me that I was slow on getting a uh, and slow on getting Everett like these people. I mean, if but you nailed up,
0: Anderson. I mean, yeah. that was fan- That was great work by you.
1: I know. I know.
0: No, don't. Anyway. Don't. That's you got a lot of things to be
1: ashamed of, JJ. That oh. that,
0: that wasn't one of them.
1: Oh, no, no, no. When, when, when I talk to my therapist, that's not going to be on the list. No, no, no. I have much deeper shame. Uh, finally, probably the question of the mailbag. Chris Zilwalski. Sorry, Chris Chris Zilkowski. That's better. Mm-hmm. After last week's pod discussion about USMNT Twitter, I would love your takes on what are some other Twitter worlds you encountered that make you cringe from all the knee-jerk reactions. Arsenal and the Bears. NFL, jump to my mind. Any clubs and sports teams? Um, can I go first? Sure, yeah. <laughs> sure. I'm going to get these ones out of the way. Uh, Mets Twitter is... Uh I mean they're not knee jerk reactions. If your knee is jerking to the reaction that the Mets are a disaster and are going to make you sad, that's not a knee jerk reaction, but it's hard to be on Mets Twitter as a Mets fan. It's tough. Um but that's more to do with the team than anything else. The the one that makes me encounter cringe and knee jerk reactions and it just it popped up on my timeline today on Twitter. Uh, an article called "The Cold World of the Extremely Online Liverpool Fan." Uh, it's a piece by Dean Van Wen, uh, a Liverpool supporter, and it's 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 uh, subheaded "The Odd Existence of the Digital Football Supporter Who Doesn't Care About Football." Hmm. And these are people who are obsessed with winning the transfer window. Who, in the summer after Liverpool won their first championship in thirty years, were just so angry that the Uh, There wasn't enough business done for their liking. Here's the closing paragraph. I want everyone to read it. It's so good. This, This is the kind of stuff I can't stand. Closing paragraph. Here's the thing. I truly believe that if Liverpool hit the lowest scene in the still relatively recent past again, a lot of these fans will abscond to other clubs. Not getting what you want from football all of the time seems completely intolerable to them. But following a football club should be about ups and downs. Otherwise, the ups wouldn't mean a thing. There, there is a section of Liverpool fans, Andrew, and I cannot understand them. Like, if it's... They, they must not have supported Liverpool at any point other than when Jurgen Klopp joined. Yeah. Because they cannot hack anything. Uh, last season, you know, for all the, 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 you know, the defeats and the injuries, etc., Liverpool finished third and only finished two wins off Manchester United who finished second. That was a real triumphant finished to the season it was fun to watch there was fun there there was joy absolutely these people have none of it none of it if you're someone who
0: cannot tolerate or stomach anything that does not result in a trophy this this life is not for you no they're they're fine, something else to do like but it's sad you have it's you sad have way. to be able to take joy
1: from you know, from other things like it's yeah, but- just But, like, Andrew, you are a hardcore sports fan. You were a season ticket holder for the Sixers. Mm -hmm. I mean, you went to more bad games than good. Oh, my God.
0: Horrifying. I've seen horrifying basketball. Uh, But some of my favorite, I mean, some of my favorite seasons and some of my favorite teams are are teams that didn't necessarily win titles. Right. Uh, So, and, like, memories that I hold incredibly dear. You know, uh, like, and and for what it's worth, like, sports sometimes – it's it's uh, this is going to sound kind of like hokey, um, but like sports is sometimes about more than just sports. Like I have like real friendships that are, of course, like rooted in a mutual, like shared interest of Tottenham or the Eagles or Sixers or whatever. But like like some of my best friend like best memories I have are like from going on Eagles road trips and like not even the game part of it, like all the other stuff around that. So like sports is it's got to be more than just like did we win a title this year? Did we win the transfer window? No, no. Failure, no enjoyment. Like it just I don't know. If that's if that's all you're looking to get out of it then I you, think the key, you mu- you must be it, this can't be a fun life.
1: The key thing is the the in in this whole piece is the extremely online part of it. I mean, these people are online a lot. They don't ever tweet about amazing goals or memories. It's all about transfer window, the owners, et cetera, et cetera. I will post that link to it because I'm sure there's other football fans of other clubs who can relate. I mean, what's your, look, what's your there, there's
0: a, there's a place for it. Like, uh, like being interested it's too and, much and, now,
1: Andrew, it's too much,
0: but like, I get excited when my team makes like a, when Tottenham signs a great player, like that's, you should get excited about that, but I get what you're saying there is there's an obsession now with that over what's actually happening in games yeah uh, so and that's that's not a good place to be in i really no. I really feel that way in terms of what I would say I mean look political twitter is a is a frightening place, especially in these times um other Twitter spaces well, I would say this, I'm not a Yankee fan, but like I've seen Yankee Twitter, and I can tell you that Yankee Twitter has probably fired Aaron Boone an equal number of times that U.S. men's Twitter has fired Greg Bearhalter. So I would say that they are similar in that way. Uh,
1: Andrew, do we know a guy uh, who's a friend of ours who's nicer than Mike Sappho? What um, a great guy. What a great guy. Psychopathic Yankees fan. Now, I'm not comparing him to those fans before because he loves the game and he does, but he cannot hack the Yankees being anything other than unbelievable. I mean, that's been ingrained in them. Yeah, I mean, he's he's in his, what, late 30s, so he grew up with... Like, they don't know any other
0: life than that. No. So if there's, like, any team that I could maybe get it with, like, I I think they do need some perspective, but, like... When you're when you go to the playoffs every year, then like, yeah, you're going to kind of be accustomed to that. And anything other than that is going to
1: be unacceptable. So this this is this is classic Mike Saffo. Uh, He tweets this. The New York Yankees are a fourth place capital letters team in the middle of September. And no changes have been made with the manager or GM. That's laughable. Fingers crossed for this landslide to continue. So they have to capital letters. Clean house. Embarrassing. (laughs) He he doesn't want them in the playoffs. He would rather
0: them fail. See that I don't know. I, I don't, he's a, he's an awesome guy. He's a great guy. I don't guy. know if I can get on board with that. No, I don't That's know if I can get on board with that JJ. I have one more uh for the oh. mailbag before we close out. Oh boy, closing out on this. This is this is something. This comes from Justin at this uh underscore just underscore in 21, who says could have missed it on a previous pod, but would be interested to hear your thoughts on the proposed World Cup change to every two years. Pros, cons from a footballing and supporter perspective. Uh, I will say this. Not in favor of it, don't want it. Like the four years. Uh, think that it adds like I I don't know. I just kind of value that specialness. Um I, I just I think it's the for me, it's right, like it's the right amount of time. Um, asking players to try to turn around and do that, like the the calendar that they want of like a World Cup every two years, and then you can do your domestic tournaments in between. Boy, you're you're just we're already taxing our world's greatest players. Right taking them right to the limit of what their bodies can withstand and to throw that into um, another summer. Um, I think it's asking a lot of, you know, I, I think in terms of fan interest fans can say that they wouldn't be as into it, it wouldn't be a special fans would still be into it, it would still be a huge event, it would still be a big deal, but I just worry what that would do to the world's greatest players, if we would just see an increase in injuries, if it's just asking for too much, There's- Um So so that's, that's my main thing. One more thing, then I'll let you go. Okay. Um, I will say this though, as an American soccer fan, uh, I love like U.S. I always say all the time, like us soccer was, is my, that was my gateway into this sport. Like that was like before MLS was really a thing. It was us soccer. And you know, they still hold my interest in a way that is pretty incredible considering how rarely they take part in tournaments of true consequence. I wish there was another thing. I'm not saying I want it to be a world cup every two years, but like how much I love this current team, how interested I am in this current team, they barely have a chance to justify all the interest that I have in them. You know, like it's world cup qualifying and it's the world cup. That's not really a whole lot. We can say like you know, gold cup, think of all the importance JJ that we put on the CONCACAF nations league. Cause we don't have anything else like there. So I, I don't hate the idea of there being at least in this part of the world in Concacaf, um, you know, being another thing that I can in some way cling to uh, as like holding my interest of a real tournament and matches of true consequence where I'll be really upset if you know genuinely upset if they lose. Or genuinely like out of my mind dancing in the streets if they win. I would love to have another one of those things. I'm so jealous of UEFA and CONMEBOL for Copa America and the European Championships. I hate that we really just have the World Cup in this part of the world. Um, I'm not, That's not me endorsing an every two year World Cup. I just wish even if it was like a gold cup being ta- like with all the marquee players, like that gold cup I think about all the time back in what was it 2011, that you know epic final between the US and Mexico like just something else to really get on board with because it's it's so few and far between the moments where we ha- can like take real true joy and have like the whole country following along with what's going on it's it would be nice it would be nice
1: um i have so much to say on this but i i really want to save it cuz i think we need to have a guest on there so many political elements to this within fifa and uefa that we need to tease out CONCACAF have released a statement which is kind of just like you right there had the same sense of trepidation and it's saying uh, we're not it was a wishy-washy statement we're not we're not endorsing this we'd like more conversation as to how we reschedule the international calendar which I mean they're afraid that what's going to happen is the gold cup will be eviscerated which is a huge money spinner. Mm-hmm. for CONCACAF in regular times. That will be eviscerated. UEFA are worried that the champions, the excuse me, the European championships will be destroyed, which they probably will be. And this is also an accommodation to make a World Club Cup, which would be a World Cup of clubs in the summer. Um, it's appalling. I hate the idea. and But I hate myself. Well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I hate myself. Okay. We had Arsene Wenger, the architect of this nice. nonsense, we had him on from, where was he, Geneva, or was it Paris? He looked like he was in some kind of a classroom in November. And, in, and, and we knew he was working for FIFA, and we should have just asked, hey, Arson, what you up to these days? Because that man, when he was manager, was all about players, all about player welfare and things like that. How can he possibly, possibly believe this is a good thing for football? I I just don't believe it, but he's out front and centre. They had a whole load of uh, ex-players, Roberto Carlos and our own Alexi Lalas, flew them out to Doha to explain to them uh, this kind of plan for the future or to to talk to them about it at least. I I think that's what they were out there for. Um, It's a disaster, an absolute disaster. World Cups are special because they're once every four years. And there's a two-year qualifying process that leads you up to this moment. You earn your right to be there. It's exciting. It's uh, it, they're they're amazing because they're rare. Not because every two years, I'm sorry, uh, you are you're destroying it. You're absolutely destroying it. And yeah. the calendar and you're just
0: gonna you're gonna tax these players. You're oh, gonna run to the... these guys. They these guys are already stretch thin with all the responsibilities they have and increased international calendars and, and more line, club games. And you are just going to run these guys into the ground.
1: Yeah. And Wenger's lying. This is what the fans want. I, I just don't believe it. I don't believe it, but we need to get someone on and dig into this deeper. So maybe we'll do it when it's a, a quieter week. That's yeah, a good idea. That would be interesting to talk more about
0: because you know how these things go with like, once you hear kind of like that little tiny snowball oh, yeah. of like it, it grows and gr- like. When I heard this, I was like, "Well, start wrapping your mind around it. It sounds yeah. like they've decided, and they're going to now either push it through or spend the next however many years it takes convincing everyone that this should happen, and voting, you know, voting people in
1: who are on board with this." Like, oh yeah, and and buttering up the 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 various federations to make sure that they'll play ball. Um, I mean, it's already at the point a critical mass to get this thing over the line. So, um,
0: of all look, the things
1: in the sport that I would just hate
0: to see get in some way tarnished like that was always that was for me when we were talking about um you know the 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 super league uh that was always the part of it that was maybe most frightening to me i mean obviously destroying the premier league and domestic leagues is most frightening but like the idea that fifa would not allow those players to take part in the world cup well now you're ruining this thing that for whatever you know for whatever corruption there is around it i know all that but like once the games start there's just something sacred to me about the world cup and how much these players care, how desperate they are to win it. Um, and like, if they tarnish that in some way, that is, it's unforgivable, unforgivable. Anybody that has a hand in it, I I, I couldn't forgive them for it.
1: Andrew men in suits will destroy us all.
0: Nah. So what if they show up at FIFA headquarters wearing, you know, like sweatpants, would you feel better about it then?
1: I'd feel better about their general outlook on life. Okay, Good.
0: Uh, well, hey, this was fun, man. I enjoyed this uh, quite a bit, quite a bit. I'm glad that your managerial career got off to a 1-0 start. I feel good about the direction you're headed. I endorse you. Uh, you are not on the hot seat, so I'm don't gonna,
1: worry about it. I'm going to start calling myself Neil, Neil Warnock.
0: So that's who you're modeling yourself after. That's fascinating. I love I, it. I, I do know I hope I you carry yourself like that, too. Do you talk trash to other players
1: when the game ends? Oh, oh, I absolutely do. And, you know, I had a, I had a free hour there in a very busy weekend. And did you did wear a suit, put?
0: by the way? I, what, what's your I'm curious what your manager like? What's your style on touchline?
1: I let everyone down with the style far too casual far, next week. Like Bearhalter, casual. casual. Uh, oh, even more casual than bear halter. <laughs> Nike's shorts. Well, he's, he wears like cool sneakers. Like that's his yeah, thing. But, t-shirt. Yeah, but at least he wears some kind of pants with them. You know, I did. I, you I wore, weren't wearing pants. I wore shorts. Oh, that's unacceptable. Unacceptable. I might go full suit next time. Like You full should. Bre- full Brendan Rodgers at Liverpool.
0: Or like a, a Gareth Southgate, a nice, uh, we call it a three-piece suit. What do they call their waist Oh coat? Yeah, a
1: three-piece suit with the, uh, with, the, uh, with the vest. Right. Yes.
0: Do that. That's a yeah. power move. Yeah. Bad managers don't wear suits like that.
1: Yeah. As I, as I negotiate my way through the goose poop that was on the field at Randall's Island in my, in my very nice loafers, I'm going <laughs> to really cut the part.
0: I like it. I'll be there. I'll support you. Whatever nice. you need.
1: Actually, I'm aiming to just get fit again, so I don't have to do it. It's too much pressure. Oh. It's too much pressure. Fair enough. Well, hey, this was fun, man. This, this
0: podcast was too much pressure. I'm kind of glad that it's over. I can breathe again. Take a deep breath. And we'll, be back, to- uh, we'll be back during the week, though. I think we're going to do another one. A little bonus podcast for all you out there. Probably sometime after the, uh, the Champions League games, either Wednesday night, Thursday morning, somewhere around there. Uh, and I promise, for anybody wondering out there, we haven't done red cards, man, of the match in a while. We'll do it.
1: We'll bring it back. All right. Don't worry. We'll bring it back for the high holiday. There you go. Hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say. Check it later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.